0: And this episode is sponsored by Sew so and Reap. Founded by Charity Parsons, Sew so and Reap creates luxury experiences and excursions for can of sewers. This month, we'll be partnering with Sew so and Reap to sponsor two guests for one of their amazing experiences. Follow Sew so and Reap on all social media channels and stay tuned for details on our exclusive giveaway. Three. It's Cash Color Camp it's a high level of conversation. As you know, I'm your host, Mecca King. And um I might sound a tad bit out of breath. And if I am a tad bit out of breath, it's because Atlanta traffic is a lot. And I wanted to make sure I got here on time to have this interview with my good with my band, Dr. John Talleyrand Tallybrand. Right. <laughs> Dr. John Tallybrand. How are you doing today?
1: Pretty good. How are
0: you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. You know, we was just briefly talking for a second. I didn't know that you did have a background in Bo- from Boston. I'm from Boston. I'm from Mattapan, as I mentioned, and I, I grew up around a-, a lot of Haitians. I'm very familiar with the Creole background, so I wanted to make sure I got- definitely got the Jean
1: part right. <laughs> That's right, it's Jean. Yeah, I was born in Haiti, but uh, we moved uh, under the Duvalier uh, uh, regime uh, to New York and really Grew up in New York. Uh, did my undergrad in Providence, Rhode Island, at Brown University, and then my medical school at uh, Boston University uh, and uh, Boston City Hospital, which you may know. Uh, yeah, the, the old Saint Elsewhere, right? I don't know if you remember <laughs> that old show.
0: <laughs> That's amazing, man! You know, you you just spoke some 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 real history. Like I. I grew up, I was very familiar with um Aristide. I I I knew about um 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 as they used to call them, but I'm more familiar with Aristide's um, um term. Mm-hmm. So it's crazy. So you came to America around the time that um a lot of Haitian Amer well, now Haitian Americans were coming to the country.
1: Yeah, my my father is a doctor, he's a pathologist. Um my, and his father's a doctor. Uh so we had sort of this, you know, public health general practice lineage and uh um, at the time, uh, the uh, uh, the Duvalier, Baby Doc, and Papa Doc were were um, preventing folks, professionals, from leaving the country. So um, we had to escape in in a way. My, my, that's the long story. <laughs> yeah. uh, but but I was just a little baby, so I don't remember any of that. Uh, but my my dad had to uh, figure a way out to, to escape the, the country, and, and uh, we eventually ended up in, in New York.
0: Oh, that's what, that's what, that's amazing, man. So, uh, well, you you definitely gave us a good little background about yourself and how you got well, how, how you got into the medical field. But I really want to know how you got into the cannabis part of that. Um, what, what? How did you? How did you transition from being in the medical field to wanting to di- take a deep dive into cannabis?
1: Well, after Boston, I came out to San Francisco, which is where I am now, um, and did my residency training in family and community medicine. With emphasis on the community uh, you know what we specialize in is uh, is focusing on what the community is doing and health outcomes influenced by culture health outcomes influenced um, what was I telling my partner the other day you don't want to tell somebody to take a blood pressure medicine when they believe that traditional Chinese medicine is is what is what's really going to cure them. And that's what they're going to use anyway. So you want to work with where they're coming from, yes. and 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 try to bring your scientific background to it, and really uh, try to influence the health outcome that way. Uh, and and what. Uh, well, I was in San Francisco, which was the birthplace of the <laughs> medical cannabis movement, and everybody around me was using this herb, yeah. right? <laughs> and so I uh, I learned about it. I I, I learned about it. that was what the community was doing, and they came to me and told me, you know, it was helping them with pain. They'd hand over their opiate prescriptions, say, "I don't need this anymore," which shocked me because usually. Patients come to you and say, uh, can I have some more? <laughs> so It was just the opposite. Right. And yeah. so I said, I've got to figure out what what it is about this. So, so I dived into the community and learned a lot about it and have been evaluating cannabis uh, users for more than 20 years now.
0: Wow. So was initially, was it a hard sell for you? I know a lot of medical professionals, even up until this moment, are still kind of wrestling with the fact that cannabis is is becoming a, a pain relief in an in alternative medicine that people are turning to. Initially, when you started first hearing your patients say, I'm turning to this, was it a hard sell for you to kind of buy into the whole hype of, of around cannabis?
1: Well, you know, you have to be open minded. And I guess I was at a as, at a hippie residency, one of the rare hippie residency programs, uh, where you know, where my mentor would take me out for green tea ice cream meditation, and he was also a, a licensed acupuncturist himself. And so we, we really had this perspective of, you know, you're not the dictator, you're not the the uh, patriarch, you are you are the guide. You you need to go in there with an open mind and listen to what they're doing. And in that way, you get more compliance with, with things. Uh, so I was open to it. I, you know, it's the way I was trained, and um, I just listened you know, and tried to understand the science behind it. And at the time, of course, there was very little science. Or, or what there was was purely on THC. Um, now it's, it's much broader.
0: Yes, it is much broader. And there's, and there's a lot more work to, that still needs to be done, especially in the medical field. There's, there, we we definitely need to be able to get to a point where we could teach more students, medical students going forward about the the, the positives about cannabis.
1: Absolutely. Well, that you know, the, since then, there has been the discovery of the endocannabinoid system, yes. um, which is not taught in medical schools uh, and will be one day. It's a pretty amazing system that really um, has influence in neurology and immunology um, that's why you hear things like uh, uh, there's the potential for for cbd to prevent covid Uh you know you're hearing all these things thrown out well it, it you know it influences the the immune system and so that's really um, where we are we're, we're at the very beginning of understanding it and so sometimes these claims are a little hype but but it's a very interesting system. Yeah, it is, and
0: and the endocannabinoid system is very interesting, and it's it's kind of shocking that it's not being taught. Like,
1: why do you feel like it's it's taking so long for it to be taught in medical schools? Well, I you know if you hang out with a bunch of doctors, you realize that it's it's a conservative lot, very slow to to change, uh, um, and so I you know it's it, it, and also at this point there are not many. Um, pharmaceuticals that have been developed to influence the endocannabinoid system. I mean, you have THC, you have CBD, and that's it. Um, and uh, they're not very popular. You know, they're approved for very rare conditions. THC is only approved uh, for nausea from chemotherapy. And CBD is approved for seizures, a rare, very rare kind of seizures in, in the pediatric population. So um, it's not broadly used. I think part of the problem really, and and tell me if I get too deep into this, uh, but the problem is single agent pharmacology versus multi-agent pharmacology. And let me explain. Yeah, please. Most pharmacology is one single agent, one drug, one chemical. Uh, When you get a pill, it's ibuprofen, one chemical or, Mm -hmm. or whatever, blood pressure medicine, one chemical. Maybe sometimes they add two and put them together cannabis has hundreds of chemicals. And so the industry is not used to dealing with hundreds of chemicals. They they haven't developed what we call multi-agent pharmacology. Um, And so they almost have to reinvent themselves in order to start to understand what cannabis is doing to the endocannabinoid system. And they just discovered the endocannabinoid system in the late 80s. So it, you know, it seems like a long time ago, but in science, it's a, it's not that long ago. So we've got a long way to go. We've got to reinvent the way we think of pharmacology by thinking multi-agent and apply it to this new system. Yeah, well, I and think I that clear. You,
0: well, we got to get even more clear into it, man. Because I think that the work that you're doing with the clinical endocannabinoid system consortium will actually go far as far as helping that. Um, first, speak to us about how you found how you found your way to the CESC. And what is the uh, and what is the overall goal of the organization?
1: Well, so I've been observing patients, like I said, for twenty years. About seven years ago, I ran into a uh, a biochemist who had about forty years uh, experience in developing pharma products. And he was also interested in the endocannabinoid system. And I said I explained to him just what I explained to you. You know, the problem is the multi-agent. And to and to him, that was he loves puzzles. And and I said, take take us through this puzzle. So we founded the CESC about seven years ago, and we decided to take this approach of deconvoluting or untangling this idea of multi-agent pharmacology with cannabis. Um, and and that's what we've been. Doing for the past seven years, essentially.
0: That's awesome, man. And then you talk about a a hard job. I believe (laughs) you know, trying to untangle all that, and then also make it make sense to say a layman like myself has
1: to be a task. Oh yeah, and there's very little support. You know, the cannabis industry just wants to sell their weed. Right (laughs) when you start to explain that we've got to untangle this problem, they 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 just you know they they turn the other way because. They think this is going to cost a lot of money and I've already got to deal with all these other issues in terms of logistics in in the industry that, you know, banking problems and tax problems. And there's a lot of issues in cannabis right now. And so um, research is sort of last on their list. But I've seen a change lately. I've I've seen more and more science uh, like the conference that we're having uh, uh, coming up in San Diego is, we're in our seventh year of it. And uh, uh, Dr. Abrams and I uh, have been helping build this conference and trying to build bring the best scientists together um, for years. And, and I think we've got a good good one going.
0: That's interesting. And you when you speak about the conference, you think you're you discussing the Emerald Conference, am I correct? The Emerald Conference, conference okay. that's right. I'm on the science of- committee, yeah. Speak to us about the Emerald Conference and the importance and the importance of that and what you will be doing with the Emerald Conference.
1: Well, I have a presentation, but what we've been working on, we have a committee of folks that really pull out the best uh, research regarding the products, analytics of the products, the agronomy, how it's grown um, and uh, uh, genetics behind the, the products and the people who use it. Um, and as well, the clinical evidence of what products are, are working. So we try to look at those categories and pull pull the uh, request abstracts and presentations for for the best of those. And it's really been a, a science focused conference. So a lot of uh, science geeks and nerds uh, <laughs> talking about it. And and, uh, uh, and yeah, we've been really uncovering a lot in terms of of uh, of what's going on. So we're trying to push that to the mainstream.
0: I pray that you do, because even as you mentioned it, it sounds like it's something important, but it doesn't sound like the sexiest thing. Like when I think about (laughs) conferences, I'm thinking about cannabis conferences. I'm thinking about bumping into Mike Tyson and I'm thinking about um, NBA players and all kinds of people getting into this space, but you're touching it from a point of view that we really need to start really trying to figure out, which is the science of cannabis and how this is honestly working
1: with our bodies. It's getting more popular. And this year, the conference was bought by MJ Biz, yes. And MJ Biz has been one of the most popular conferences in the industry, more from a business perspective. But now that we're merging the business with the science, the, the industry is getting more scientific. It's been years where, where a lot of these products, even though they were taken out of the criminal world they were still sold with the old criminal, criminal ideas. No science behind it, just a lot of myth. Yeah. Um, and uh, and now finally science is coming to making sure that these products are validated um, and uh, the consumer's getting more savvy now that it's out there. So it's really, um, it's joining these two worlds, which is great. Yeah, you know, you
0: briefly touched on something that I did want to speak about. And that's uh, a lot of the, 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 Miscommunication and the misinformation that comes around cannabis and CBD. One thing was um, the 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 cure of COVID. You know, I started seeing that pop up on my timeline, and I'm like, I refuse to engage in this because there's no way there's been enough of research done between when COVID started and right now that you can prove that. What do you do? What do you think we can do, especially from your background, as far as as the deep, as far as somebody who is really involved in the science of it? What can we do to start combating some of the false narratives that we hear about CBD being this miracle drug and this miracle, this miracle thing that could just solve every single problem you have?
1: Absolutely. And I'm a big fan of CBD Uh, and it may be that it has some preventive antiviral antibacterial effects. Um, But I said, maybe I didn't say it did. Right. We haven't (laughs) gone to proven it yet. Uh, uh, Right. uh, And also, we've got to make sure it's safe. I had a patient the other day um, with glaucoma, you know, and her glaucoma got worse and she loved her CBD. And there's some indication that CBD may worsen glaucoma. Mm -hmm. Now, we all know that THC may help glaucoma but we don't know that CBD may worsen glaucoma, right? And so we need to get all the information out, both about efficacy, how well it works and safety. Um, and that's really sort of the, the basis of my presentation is that we've got to look at, at both uh, at, in these products, make sure that they, they are both. Uh, um, education is critical. You know, uh, I, I, uh, I, in, in my uh, 20 years, I've been, like I said, listening to the cannabis consumer. And now I guide people who are interested in using cannabis um, um, in selecting the right products uh, in talking about their medical condition and whether it truly will help them or maybe it won't. Uh, you know, you just can't just dive into it and uh, and uh, hopefully um, you have some guidance so that you, you head the right way. Um, yeah. I think it's a relatively safe, Product, but there are some people it's not safe for, uh, and some conditions it's not safe for. So, always good to get professional advice um, before diving into it. Yeah. And what I I do, I
0: don't like the misinformation I do feel is being spread about CBD. But one thing I do think that is a positive, even from the misinformation is you're seeing people who are actively telling the medical community that we want something else, that we want to try something different than what you've already been prescribing, prescribing to us. And I think that that's a fair conversation that people need to have. Um,
1: Do you agree? Absolutely. Compliance is a big issue in medicine. It's the dirty word that We don't talk about because how many times do we prescribe something and the person goes home and leaves that pill bottle on their shelf or takes it kind of sometimes, kind of sometimes they don't. Uh, It's a big issue. And then we're trying to get our data from real world from we get our data from very strict clinical studies. But in the real world how are they really using that product and yeah. is it really effective for lowering their blood pressure or what have you um so compliance is critical listening to your patient is critical in terms of of uh, of get of having that exchange of information really
0: yeah circling back to the CESC um the dosing the dosing um excuse me the dosing project that's your flagship initiative um speak to us about the dosing project and what that what that all that entails
1: Um, The dosing project is is a surveillance study, really. It's basically a people are out there using cannabis, and there's no FDA oversight. And the FDA is really established for safety of of medicines. Um, But the FDA, because they have trouble dealing with multi-agent pharmacology. Um, there that goes the, those words again. <laughs> uh, but they have trouble dealing with all the multiple chemicals in the plant. They've kind of been dragging their feet, not involved, or saying it's illegal. We don't want to touch it. Um, and so there's no oversight. People are just using it. And so what we decided to do was create a study where people would use it because they're going to use it anyway. And they report back to us what they're using and how it worked for them and whether they had any adverse events from using it. And we take that data and we start to make conclusions that we feed back to the public so that they are more educated through data rather than the myth of the person who sold it to them um, or the company who's presenting it. So it's data-driven, science-driven safety surveillance study. Uh, It happens in pharmacology also. you might have heard of things like baby powder causing ovarian cancer. Yes. Um, uh, well, that, the, the this didn't happen until after people started using it. And then we were able to survey the data from people using it, real world data, and then come back to say, hold on a minute. Maybe a certain type of baby powder may be causing this. Let's uh, shift it around and be a little bit more. Uh, careful about what we're producing out there. So it's called, in, in pharmacology, it's, it's the phase four. There's four phases of clinical study. It's the phase four. As it goes through the line of study, it's the last phase. And so we decided with the dosing project to start at the end because people were using it anyway and characterize what they're using. It's a little tricky because we have to do things like, you um, ask the patient to tell us what they're using, basically, to characterize what they're using. And then we look at categories of, of what they're using and try to line it up with the effect and the adverse events. And so we call it a, a, a many-to-many problem. Uh, so it has to do, basically, we use multivariate analysis or what people sometimes call AI, you know, uh, artificial intelligence, but it's just a kind of statistic. And now with the capabilities that people have using this type of statistics, we can sort of look at clusters of information and start to understand what's happening and whether there's positive and negative. If you look out to what's being sold right now, you'll you'll see that there are some 3000 CBD brands out there and and maybe one is validated the one that went through fda study the epidiolex but everything else is just being sold and people are taking it without any clinical validation or there's uh, a 700 or more different cannabis names for for different flowers out there you know jack herrera and train wreck and oh you know og kush and all these things and zero validation behind them. You know, they just make up the names and put it out there and we're really trying to nail it down and say, this means this. Um, So we're trying to take the myths out of the the industry through the dosing project.
0: And I think that you're doing a great job, but one thing that you're you're probably running into as far as obstacles is that there's almost a a, a fight against science at this point. And I don't want to blame COVID, but since COVID, I feel like people have almost looked at science as, as, as the enemy and not the, the, the person, the thing that's assisting us. What do you feel like we can do to start making science, I guess, yeah, more sexy again? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I, I mean, in some ways, science is dry. You know, it's got to be methodical. Um, it is what it is. But, uh, you know, I, it, it, you, I, I it's kind of telling a person, a, a baseball player uh, how to make baseball more sexy. I love science. I think it gives <laughs> us, a, it gives us the, the answers that we need. Now, it's not everything. You know, there's an art to medicine as well as a science to medicine. And But to, to go into uh, uh, an event and or a situation and not have the data um, and ignore the data, uh, do you remember that uh, movie, uh, I'm sure you do, Moneyball? Yes. And the I'm a I'm a big baseball fan as you can as you can tell. Uh, but, uh, uh, well, you know they started using the data. That's science, right? It was all about the art of baseball before. Or I know what's right, and, uh, but then they just started throwing some data in there, and now almost every team uses data mm-hmm. uh, in baseball. So drill. for mm-hmm. those who disagree with with uh, science but love baseball, I'm saying well. Did, did you see the movie Moneyball? Do you, do you believe in using data to help drive your decisions as well as using the art of baseball? And I think there needs to be a balance to both and everything we do in, in our lives. It's, but science um, is important as much as, as the art is important. Yeah. And uh, this
0: question is a little bit off topic, a little bit of some. But being that you do have a Haitian background, we all know what well, we we should know about the history of Haiti and Haiti has gone through a lot of ups and downs throughout, throughout its, 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 its history. And we're looking at it right now from a, of, a space that Haiti needs a new economy. Haiti needs new leadership, definitely, but they need a new economy. Do you feel like cannabis can be that new economy for for, for Haiti?
1: I, I do. I mean, uh, 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 Haiti has always been an agriculturally based yes. economy. Um, uh, Unfortunately, it's been influenced by uh, uh, other countries uh, dictating what kind of crops to grow. And in order for the country to really gain its own independence, it's got to be self determining on which crops are most useful for the economy. I think cannabis is a great opportunity. Um, for Haiti to get into this it's a great question and very astute on your part I, not many people that have made that connection but I think a lot of the islands could benefit from uh, uh, including cannabis and and some islands like Jamaica have already started yeah. including cannabis in in their um, as part of their economy uh yeah, so it would very much uh, be beneficial. Uh, I know in Haiti right now, certain companies are growing flowers there. Um, and, you know, cannabis has two types of crops. It's got the hemp, mm-hmm. which it can be used for industrial purposes. And it's got the flower that can be used for uh, medicinal drug purposes. Um, and they grow differently. Um, and Haiti is, can do both. Uh, or any island can do both. So uh, it's exciting to me to 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 try to introduce that into the country. Absolutely. Full circle. Full circle, definitely. Um, so before we get out of here, tell the people
0: how they can learn more about the CSC, how they can learn more about you. Because again, science needs to be
1: sexy again. <laughs> well, there's two. Our education comes from Medican. Medican's another company that, that's the educational side of what I do. So www.medican.com. Uh, and then uh, the CESC is the research side of what I do. That's www.the, C is in Charlie, E is in Edward, S is in Sam, C is in Charlie org. Um, so one's a nonprofit, uh, and one's an educational company and we we try to get the word out to, to both.
0: Awesome, man. Well, thank you very much for your time. I really feel like you have the, you have the ability to be like the Bill Nye of cannabis, man. Make this some (laughs) fun thing that people really want to dive in and want to know the science about it, man.
1: Right, right, right. Uh, I'm not afraid to talk about the art of it, too. But yeah, I love science. So I'll definitely uh, that's that's what I studied. So that's what I'll feel most comfortable with. Well, Dr. John, I
0: appreciate your time with us today. And I really wish you great luck with everything you're doing. And I wish you luck at the Emerald Conference.
1: Uh, Absolutely. Thank you. Appreciate it. We look forward to having a great time there.
0: No problem. And that's cash color cannabis, a high level of conversation, a high level of conversation. And this episode is sponsored by Sew and Reap. Founded by Charity Parsons, Sew and Reap creates luxury experiences and excursions for of Sewers. This month, we'll be partnering with Sew and Reap to sponsor two guests for one of their amazing experiences. Follow Sew and Reap on all social media channels and stay tuned for details on our exclusive giveaway.